week I was at a conference uh, uh, with a, a group of top lawyers from all over the United States, a uh, group of tax lawyers, and I, I was once the president of the group uh, for 12 years. Uh, and everybody there knows that I have migrated in my life. I've graduated away from that, that former life, into this life in which I'm involved in, in teaching the, the Word of God. And uh, they ask me. I mean, they actually are interested. They tell you they want to know about where the radio programs are. And they say, well, what do you, what's your lesson this week about? And I said, well, I'm going to actually, it's interesting you ask, I'm, I'm going to be speaking about heaven. I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks on heaven. And one guy uh, who belongs to a major denomination, I would say, what? He goes, do you, do you really believe that there's a heaven? I go, there's not a shadow of a doubt. I don't have a scintilla of a doubt. He said, you don't have any doubts at all? Not one particle or molecule of a doubt. He goes, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a gift from God. And, and I don't know what to say. I know what to say, but you know what? Uh, I, I accept it. Um, and uh, some of the guys in the group, a number of them are Jewish. Uh, and they came over to me and wanted to know what I was teaching in the Old Testament. And I made a point to say, you know, there's only one Bible. The old and the new are one Bible. It's not two Bibles. And so I always, I always love it when I get a chance uh, to, to speak to people in a, in a non-theological setting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, and I know some of them will listen and some of them will read the outlines. But that's why we're going to study heaven. I put you through a tough period of time with the Antichrist and the tribulation. I know, you know, you could get nightmares. Uh, and I've done my best to tell you, you, you will not be there. This is where you're going to be. You're going to be in heaven. Um, and I wanted to give you an uplifting presentation about what heaven will be like. Uh, and it's strictly from the Bible. This is not my opinion. This is the opinion of God, the law of God. Uh, and so, uh, we're going to spend the next several weeks drilling down on what the Bible says, what Jesus says, what is heaven going to be like? Uh, because you all will be there, we'll be together, we'll see each other there. We're going to recognize each other there. I'm going to be thinner when you see me. <laughs> you know, you're going to see me there, uh, and I'm going to see you there. So, you know, we're, we're just going to be, you know, just don't, when you get there, do me a favor, don't say, we're the Baptist meeting, don't say that. That's a bad thing to say. That'll shuttle you off to a whole different camp. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Right, so that's what the point of this, this whole lesson is. And so this, the, the idea of heaven is that God has prepared this place for us. It is a created place. Heaven didn't exist from the beginning. This is important, and we'll study this. Heaven is a created place by God, right? Heaven is a place where God resides, where Jesus resides, uh, uh, where the Trinity sits. Uh, and so uh, this is a place that has been reserved by God for us uh, so that when we pass from this life, if we've accepted Jesus Christ, we've, we've adopted Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's where you are to go. And when we go there, you will see your loved ones who have gone before you. You will see that. Scripture tells us that, uh, and that's an important thing to say and to recognize. So when I say that you will be gathered together uh, with people that are from your family, 
your, your social setting that are Christians. The Bible supports that. Uh, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, uh, beginning with verse 8, uh, verse 7. It talks about Abraham. Now, you know, Abraham came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. All right. Typically understood to be probably in Iraq, which Iraq is today. Uh, verse 7, although Abraham lived 175 years, then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. I guess he did. Uh, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. That's the first time you see that. Gathered to his people. Now, he died. He wasn't buried with his people because his people would have been buried in the Ur of the Chaldees. He wasn't buried with his people. He wasn't buried with his father. His father was buried in a place called Haran, H-A-R-A-N. But he was gathered to his people, uh, meaning meaning that when he died, uh, he went to paradise, or as we know it today is heaven. And in heaven, he was there brought together with those people from his family who God had determined uh, were worthy to be there in heaven. So gathered to his people. Uh, and that's the citation for Abraham. There's a similar uh, phrase if you turn to Genesis 49. So this isn't just a throwaway line. This is a, a bottom line fact. Genesis 49, uh, verse 33, talking about Jacob now. This is Jacob. And so as Jacob dies in verse uh, four, uh, 33, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, he drew up his he drew his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Okay, gathered to his people. Uh, amazing. Now turn to Numbers twenty seven, verse twelve. Now Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go up this mountain in the Abarim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it." You too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my, my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. So neither uh, Abraham, uh, excuse me, neither Moses nor Aaron walked into the promised land, but obviously they're with God uh, today gathered to their people. Uh, and so some theologians argue that this phrase means that they were buried with their ancestors, but I give you proof that that's not the case. Abraham came out of, of the Ur of the Chaldees. He wasn't buried there. He wasn't buried with his father. Uh, and to this day, they don't know where Moses is buried. All right, you know, I mean, his 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 tomb is unknown. So clearly, they're not buried uh, with other family members. This phraseology, gathered to their people, uh, is the first inkling that God is giving us that that when we leave this world, that there's another world we're going to, and we will be gathered to uh, our people. We will when we get up there. We're all going to be together. We're going to see each other, and you're going to recognize each other. You're going to recognize each other, uh, and so this becomes an important uh, thing to understand. Now, uh, in the New Testament, we have some further proofs on this, um, and one of those is in the Mount of Transfiguration, um, and that becomes important because, as you know. Uh, and the Mount of Transfiguration, where uh, Jesus took several of his disciples up and they were praying, that at that point, 
Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Uh, and Jesus' a body, the, the, the phraseology theologically, is transmogrified. Uh, but that means that Jesus took on a, a effectively the glorious body that he would have when he would pass on. Uh, and it was just a celestial uh, body uh, emitting incredible light. And Moses and Elijah are there with him. And, and I want you to look and see what the scripture says about this. Look at Luke chapter 9. Verse 30, we'll start there. Two men, notice that. Two men, not two angels, not appearing like angels, but people that appeared as men. These are guys who are who have died, who are in heaven. Two men, Moses and Elijah. Well, actually, Elijah never died. You know that Elijah was taken alive from this world on a chariot of fire and brought into heaven. But he didn't walk into heaven with his human body. All right? You can't have a human body in heaven. Uh, and so whatever it is, God gives them some intermediate body uh, that made them appear as men. So two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment to Jerusalem. And that's not an amazing sight. You're sitting there and they're talking about Jesus. Look, this is what's going to happen. And this is the work that you're fulfilling. Can you just see it? And the disciples must be sitting there with their mouth agape watching this. Nice. Incredible. Uh, and then what happens? Peter and his companions were very sleepy. You're sleeping through this? I almost feel like Jesus wants to say that. We're very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. You see that? The two men standing with him. So that gives us insight into the fact that that somehow in this heaven, that we appear as men and women. We appear with some form of body, not a diaphanous spirit, but some form of physical body, not the body that Jesus had at the resurrection, because that was a glorified body, which one day you will have, all right, uh, when the graves are open, opened up and the resurrection of the dead takes place. Not that, but some intermediate type of body uh, that would allow people in earth, when they see us, to recognize that these were two men, and in fact, they recognized that they were Moses and Elijah. I don't really know how they knew that unless they had name tags on, but but somehow, somehow they knew, somehow they knew they were Moses and Elijah, okay? Uh, and as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up, the NIV says three shelters. I think the King James said three statues, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know. He did not know what he was saying. That's the friends in there. Of course, that's, Jesus would never want that to take place. We're not worshiping images. We're worshiping the one true God. Uh, so, recognition of people in their physical state, even though they are uh, on the other side, not a diaphanous spirit body, but some kind of physical body that makes it appear uh, as men and women as we are. So these are the hints that the Bible gives us that we try to bring together uh, and, and, and do this. Uh, and so uh, it, it becomes important for us to study this and get a sense of understanding this. Now, life in the heaven that we go to when we die, where we will dwell prior to our bodily resurrection. And you understand this. You're going to leave this world. You're going to go and you'll be in heaven with, with your people. 
And then at some time, most likely at the time of the rapture, when God comes back uh, and the graves open up, all the, all those that have died in Christ, those graves will open up, the bodies will come, and they will be effectively returned to the spirit bodies and will form your glorified body. How does that happen? Nobody knows. We speculate. But that's what the Bible tells us. Um, and so uh, uh, we recognize this, that wherever this place is in heaven, this created place, it is better by far uh, than where we are because we are in the presence of God. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gained. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Wow, there it is. That's when you really begin to see somebody sold out on Jesus. They recognize that that the fuller, more complete life is on the other side. So we stay here until God tells us it's time for us to go. Not a day early, not a day late, uh, but within the will of God, staying here and fulfilling his work. That's why you're here. You're here to be doing the hands and work of God. Uh, and so this, it's a, an important thing. But yet we yearn, we yearn in our heart for that other place, that greater place. Uh, and so in the present heaven, and we're going to talk about this, there is a present heaven, and I will call that an intermediate place. You'll hear me uh, speak about that, that, that God has another place in mind uh, at the end of time. But in the present heaven, we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ, and God the Father, and all the saints of the Bible that have died before. We will be joyful. Uh, we will be without pain. Uh, and, and we will be looking forward to our bodily resurrection and permanent relocation to the new earth. Now, what does that mean? And we'll drill down and I'll explain this to you. But what it means is that at some point in time, God will relocate this intermediate heaven to the planet Earth. And we will have on the planet Earth what the, uh, the Scripture refers to as the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem will effectively be the new heaven. God is going to take heaven with its streets, uh, uh, with its landscape, with its trees, with the population, and he's going to, to effectively remove it and take it and place it and put it on Earth. Uh, and it will be located uh, at the, where the present Jerusalem is, but it will be far greater in size than the present Jerusalem will be. And we'll talk about that. But that's the that's the the major macro view of what's going on. So we go to an intermediate place, but that's not the final place. And don't think that that was a place created from the beginning of time. It was not created from the beginning of time. It was created uh, at some point afterwards by God to be his home. Now, this opens up an interesting discussion as well, because it opens up a discussion about what the Garden of Eden most likely was. All right. Uh, and if you think about the fact that God could take the new Jerusalem uh, in heaven and bring it to earth, it makes sense that God most likely took the Garden of Eden and put the Garden of Eden in earth. All right. It, it seems reasonable to do that. Uh, and 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 so. As we see this and we think about it, there's so many things that we don't understand. 
because God really wanted Adam and Eve to be the king and queen of this earth. Uh, and, and they, they, they just lost that position. Uh, and so just because, uh, God resides in heaven does not mean he, he, heaven is synonymous with God. It is not. It is a created place. Uh, and so that's important to understand. And, and just like heaven is an intermediate place, hell also is an intermediate place. Uh, and we'll talk about that. These are intermediate locations that at the end times will be effectively recreated. Uh, and we understand that Satan will be cast into a lake of fire, uh, as will all those who are not believers. Um, and so uh, this becomes an important thing for us to understand. So the Bible clearly indicates that the new heaven will return to a new earth and that God's dwelling place will one day be in this earth. This will be in this earth, a reformed earth. It's not going to be the way this earth is now. Uh, and the Bible gives us some uh, evidence about that without telling us every single fact. But there will be a reformed earth. God will recreate this world uh, and this will be uh, his location. Now, uh, and at that time, the present heaven and the new earth will be fully compatible again. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Now we'll start with verse 9. And he, Jesus, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And that's how all things in heaven and on earth will be put together. Uh, the, the earth will be uh, recreated effectively. Um, and so people wonder, will we be conscious? Will we have a conscious understanding of who we are and, and where we are after death? And that's on point 11 of my outline. Uh, and so as we begin to understand this, um, it's important to take a look at some of the examples that Jesus has given us. Uh, and Jesus has given us a very specific uh, example. Uh, take a look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19. We're going to read this because I think there's a lot to learn here about Jesus giving you insight. Uh, into what heaven is like. There was a rich man, verse 19, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and was lived and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what, what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment, underline that, there is a hell. Nobody preached about hell more than Jesus. He looked up and saw Abraham far away um, and Lazarus by his side. So even though someone is in hell, they still have a consciousness, it appears, uh, of what's going on, of what they're missing, which may be the worst aspect of hell. All right. To be in a place where you where you are in torment and know that you could have been in a place uh, where where you see people uh, being in paradise. Um, and so he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, which I am in agony in this fire. So what do we know? 
Hell, according to Jesus, is a place of agony. Hell, according to Jesus, appears to have heat. Hell, according to Jesus, is a place where you feel pain. Hell is a, is a place where you still have your bodily parts. Because he's seeing Lazarus with a finger. He recognizes that there's water over there. He's asking that Lazarus dip his finger and then touch his lips. So what does it mean? It means Jesus is telling you that as we uh, transit from this world to the other, we still have uh, bodily recognition. Uh, and I'm in agony in this fire. Look, this is not something to be kidding around with. When Jesus tells you these things, you got to take it pretty very seriously. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Now, don't take this as a theological point that if you're rich, you're going to hell. All right. Or conversely, if you're poor, you're going to heaven because there's plenty of rich people are going to heaven and there's plenty of really poor people are going to hell. All right. So it's not this is not a common a theological commentary on your affluence or lack of affluence. You know that God judges you based on whether you've accepted Jesus Christ. That's the essence. Okay, that's the essence. Um, and then he says here in verse 26, and besides all this, between us uh, and you, a great chasm has been fixed. Meaning what? Meaning that once you're there in either heaven or in hell, you cannot traverse from that position. You cannot go outside of that position. You are there and bound in that territory. A great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Uh, and then he answers, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So there it is. You, you see this. So this becomes an important lesson for us, understanding what Jesus is saying about what heaven is like and even, uh, unfortunately, what, what hell is like. Um, and so here's the deal. This is important to remember this. When Jesus is on the cross being crucified, the thief, as we call him, the good thief, all right, not that he was good, but the thief that recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, all right, the Lord, the Messiah, uh, and says to him, uh, Lord, remember me this day when you come into paradise. And Jesus says these words, and this becomes critical. Turn to Luke 23, because we talk about it. Let's read it. Luke 23, 43. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Underline it. Meaning what? Mean instantaneously when you leave this world, you go immediately to be with Jesus. All right. There is no intermediate stop zone. OK, there is no space where you go and have to work it out, you know, for a couple of centuries until you become a good guy or a good woman. None of that is theological. It's not biblical. And I'm not saying it to knock other people and knock other denominations. In fact, I don't even I think they've they've repudiated purgatory now, haven't they? I think they have. I know they've repudiated limbo, limbo. A limbo. You have to stay on. You have to stay on top of these things because they change momentarily. <laughs> but but here's the deal: you die, 
You're going to be with Jesus instantaneously, instantaneously. And I told you that story, which is an absolute truthful testimony uh, that uh, my mother's dying bedside. Uh, my sister can testify she was there as, as my brother-in-law, uh, my wife and my son. I put my hand on my mother's head uh, as I knew that she was passing. She'd been in a stroke. She's had a stroke and couldn't talk. Didn't open her eyes for like three weeks. And finally, I put my hand on her head and I prayed. And I said, dear Lord, my mother has been a great mother, a wonderful Christian woman, a great wife, served my father for all these years. And now, Lord, in this state that she's in, I ask you, Father, right now to take her from this world, take her from this pain. Take her, Lord, take her in your arms and bring her to heaven. And with that, as my hand is on her head and I'm saying these words, my mother opens her eyes, looks at the ceiling and has the greatest smile that you could ever imagine and looks and then died instantaneously. And I told that story yesterday to these lawyers and they were dumbstruck. And if you, it takes a lot to have a lawyer be dumbstruck. <laughs> I'm looking at them. I'm waiting for them to say something. They're like, like, I couldn't talk. Eyewitness testimony. All right. There is a heaven. There is a heaven. And you're going. You're going. You're going. Never have a doubt. Never let the devil get into your head and think that you're not worthy. Yes, you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. Worthiness has nothing to do with it, but Jesus went first. And because of Jesus, you're going. And so this becomes an important lesson for us to understand how great this is. Um, and, and so you see that instantaneously from this world to the next, just like that, just like that. Um, and that's why we are so blessed to be Christians, to have given our hearts to God. This is what he has given us. We've given him nothing. This free gift, this gift of salvation, gives us this instantaneous benefit. Oh, Lord, you've been so great to us, uh, and we are not deserving of it. And so um, uh, uh, Paul said that to die was to be with Christ. He understood it. To die was to leave this world and to be reunited with Christ. And to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. That's the nature of what this is about. To be absent from this world. You know, and here's the thing, that for some of us, we're afraid to die. We're afraid to die. Now, look, oh, I don't want you to think I'm saying, oh, yeah, I'm ready to die now. You know, bring it on. No, we understand this. God works in us. Nobody wants to go through pain. I would like to be like Enoch, right? Enoch, that's kind of my, my role model, right? <laughs> you live to be what? I think he was 300. He was 300. They said he was walking around and he disappeared. That's what the Bible says. He disappeared. And, and other versions say he was translated, meaning what? He's walking around and all of a sudden God took that body and placed it in heaven. That's the way to go. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, really, you, you see this and you, and you understand how, how great is God? How great is God? Uh, and so, there, that we will have a consciousness in heaven. Turn to he uh, Revelation chapter six. The thing about this study is there's, it's not in one place. So you have to go all over the Bible to kind of put it together. But I've done that here. Uh, and God is going to bless us as we study this. Revelation chapter six. 
um, and verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, and that's the altar of God in heaven, after the souls of those who had uh, altered, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These are the martyrs. And this is specifically referring to the martyrs in the tribulation period who will be slain uh, for the word of God. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was complete. Now, what does that mean? Okay, does it mean that there are people in heaven who are seeking vengeance? That's a bad translation, all right? That's not the essence of what it's about. It means that they want the word of God fulfilled in this world, all right? That's what this is about. They want God's word to be fulfilled and to see evil overcome. It's not that they're seeking vengeance, but there's a consciousness. There's got to be. So if these martyrs recognize that they were killed for the word of God, and in fact have some knowledge still about what's going on in the world, as they seems to be, you see God putting this together in the, in the book of Revelation. Um, and, and what's also interesting there is another comment that gives us some insight, uh, and God saying to them, it's not time yet, there are others that still have to die. Oh, wow. So, this is important for you as you understand the issue of healing. Okay, we pray for healing. We ask God to touch our bodies, to raise our bodies up. But here's the thing. God does not intend for every single person to be healed. Sometimes death intervenes. All right. Sometimes death intervenes. Sometimes God has a, a greater purpose in the death of a saint than in sustaining the life of a saint. I can't tell you why. It would be mere speculation on my part. But clearly, that's within the will of God. You see it here uh, in this part of the scripture. But what the point of this is, is there's a consciousness in heaven still of issues in earth. There is a consciousness. These martyrs cried out. Now, someone said to me, well, could it really be heaven if you knew what was in going on in earth and you had, you know, painful memories? All I know is that God's going to take those memories away from you. All right. I believe that when heaven, when we're in heaven, it will be a place of incredible joy and peace. We'll be with Jesus Christ, uh, and we will have a deeper understanding of the will of God, what we've gone through in our lives. It will become clear to you, uh, and you'll have that understanding. So this becomes an important part of what heaven is referred to. And the phrase, fallen asleep, fallen asleep. When you see that phrase in Scripture, fallen asleep means that we have passed from this life. And so the physical part of us sleeps, meaning the body sleeps, whether it's in a grave uh, uh, or whether it's in the ocean or whether it's been cremated. It doesn't matter. That part of, of us sleeps and waits until the final resurrection, uh, which will come when Jesus comes back. And that part of us will be then reunited with the intermediate body that we have. We're going to continue this study next week. We're going to discuss some of the, some of the more poignant things about heaven, including pets. All right. So I want to warn you right now, if you're not a dog person, you may want to go out for coffee because I'm going to prove to you your pets are going to be waiting for you in heaven.
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for, for the words that you've given us. Father, have you, you've demonstrated so much of how you love us and what heaven was, will be like. Lord, I pray that this resonates in our heart, that this hopefulness, this understanding will raise us up so that every single person in this class leaves with a greater understanding of what it means to be a Christian and the peace and fulfillment that awaits us in this, in this next world. Lord, bless our people, protect them in every way, and bring them back safely to continue this study next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.